from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like who I could. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, July 29th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. It's a jam-packed day. We got to hear from John Schneider yesterday about the Jamal Adams trade. That news coming down over the weekend, breaking over the weekend. Maybe you're just you know trying to have a relaxing Saturday, but no. Huge trade on Saturday. We get to hear from John Schneider on the process behind that, plus his confidence in the NFL playing this season and how rosters might be different, how training camp might be different. So we'll hear from uh, the Seahawks GM in just a moment on all of that. Also, the Mariners falling 10-2 to on Tuesday night to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But there are some positives in that game. Kyle Lewis still doing Kyle Lewis-type things. Also, Tim Lopes continuing his hot start. Evan White with a web gem of a defensive play out there. And several players opting out in the NFL, choosing to use that opt-out option, especially a lot of Patriots. Now six players uh, opting out of the 2020 season. Could more follow? And benches clearing in Astros-Dodgers. Well, at least... In the 2020 version of Benches Clearing, we'll explain all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. According to ESPN, the Seattle Seahawks, they're planning to wait until next year to sign All-Pro Safety and recent trade acquisition Jamal Adams to a long-term extension. There's still plenty of uncertainty surrounding the future of the NFL's salary cap and how the loss of revenue this season will end up impacting that number. The Seahawks reportedly willing to wait on making a big financial commitment. Seahawks acquiring Adams in a trade on Saturday that sent two first-round picks in each of the next two drafts, a 2021 third-round pick, and safety Bradley McDougal to the Jets. John Schneider on saying they love Bradley, but they just couldn't pass on this opportunity. When you sit back and you're and you're, you're constantly preaching to your staff about, you know, what can we do every day to get better, and you're adding somebody of Jamal's uh, um, intensity and dog and uh, instincts, and, you know, he's, he's, he's just an incredible, incredible football player. So uh, we just felt like it was, it was an opportune time. Uh, we love Bradley McDougal. Great guy. Um, he's a pro day in, day out. The Jets are going to love him. Uh, but, you know, we, we, just, we just couldn't pass on this. So in, in return for first-round picks in each of the next two drafts, that 2021 third-round pick and safety Bradley McDougal to the Jets, in return Seattle got Adams and a 2022 fourth-round pick. John Schneider on those who say that it was too much to give up for Jamal. Well, you have to try to look at the landscape and, and see what, you know, are you going to be able to, I mean, we have Dwayne Brown on our team right now. Do you, you know, do you have a, a future, le- is there is there an avenue for us to have a future left tackle? You know, what does that look like? Um you know, you know, pass rusher. You know, we we traded for uh, Jadavian last year. Had a great year for with us and did a really nice job. Um, you know, so you're you're trying to figure out how you can acquire those guys all the way through. I would say without um, you know getting too much into detail, Peter. That you know that, that we needed to get faster on our on our team this year, um, especially on defense. And and I feel like we've done that. 
Adams had requested a trade last month after the Jets appeared unwilling to give him the contract extension that he was seeking. John Schneider on the process, first talking or at least starting those conversations with the Jets draft weekend. Well, Joe and I have a really good, real good relationship. We go back several years scouting, being on the road. He was uh, he was actually at we were actually at Boise State the same day that uh, Cam Chancellor uh returned to camp after his holdout so it was a pretty exciting time and we had talked a lot about a number of different things and and so at that you know on that day because that was such a that, that was such a big day for the seahawks and and so uh you know going through what he was going through we had talked uh obviously before the draft uh we traded with them you know on um on draft weekend and had a couple of different things lined up with them and then you know got into the situation with jamal According to Schneider, about a month and a half, two months ago, was when the Adams talks really started to pick up, get serious. Our staff, Willie and, and Nolan and Trent and Scott, our guys do a really good job of, of uh, what we preach about, just trying to stay in uh, every deal and try to be connected and see what the landscape looks like throughout the National Football League. And so, you know, I, I think it was just a matter of, of uh, staying in touch with those guys and, and uh, keeping their relationships going, uh, being open and candid with their conversations and... Uh, probably about, I'd, I'd have to say probably about maybe two months ago, maybe a month and a half ago is when, you know, Joe and I started really um, getting serious about it. John Schneider also on why he is so fearless in those type of trades. It's just an organizational mindset. I guess I, I would have to say just our philosophy of competing every day and not being able to just, you know, sit back and think that you have it figured out and be comfortable and you have all the answers I and mean, we're trying to push the envelope every day. I mean, we're not, we're not done. We're, we're going to try to, we're going to try to build this team. I mean, you, you've seen it, you know, uh, all the way through, you know, the, the, uh, even the playoffs, what we're doing with practice squad players, moving them up and having them play on special teams for us and, and, and shuffling people around. That's a great thing about, you know, coach Carroll and his, his staff, as I, as I stated earlier, they're, they're not afraid to, uh, uh, put people out there, uh, young people and um, and talented guys, and take a shot and see what we got. Schneider also on building the secondary with the division opponents in mind, some per- pretty formidable foes in the NFC West. Especially our division with all the crossers and the talented tight ends that we have. It's important that with, you know, now, you know, with um, Ugo and Blair and, and uh, Diggs and now Jamal, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a really good group, and you know we had Lano Hill, who uh, you know two years ago was playing from Michigan, who was playing at a very very high level three games in a row, and then had a very serious hip injury, and and you know he's 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 had a really nice off season, so we're looking forward to seeing him as well. But there's you have to have so much speed in the back end, especially when we're going to be playing against Kyler Murray, you know George Kittle, and and all you know Robert Woods, and all you know all these guys that seem like they're just running all over the place. You got to have as much speed in the field. And so adding a guy like Jamal who has that versatility to play down the box and play in the hole and play man coverage is really important to us. Adams reportedly understands the Seahawks' current position on his contract and their desire to wait. Uh, Sources have told ESPN that Adams is looking to surpass the Chicago Bears' Eddie Jackson as the NFL's highest-paid safety. He makes $14.6 million. Adams has two years and $13.45 million remaining on the contract he signed as the sixth overall pick in 2017. He'll make $3.59 million in 2020 and $9.86 
million on his fifth year option in 2021. John Snyder also with some thoughts on the NFL and its confidence, his confidence level, they'll be able to play this season. Yeah, I am. I, like I said, I think that, you know, the, the, the leadership that we have and, you know, if, you know, that, that, that constant, constant communication that we have to have, uh, it's like we're playing by, and we are not like, we are completely, you know, playing with a different set of rules in terms of, you know, what our rosters look like and when people can be in the building and how many people can be around and, you know, how many massage therapists you can have around or how many, nutri- you know, what is, what, what is, what does your cafeteria look like? And, you know, what does the, the meetings look, what do our meetings look like? Now we're going to do our meetings virtually. I'm not sure, you know, what every team's doing, but you know, the 15 players working out and, you know, the different sets of 15 players working out in a, in a, in, in a strength room, um, in the weight room at a certain time. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, um, we're going to pull it off. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just, it's going to be a, a, a wild, wild, wild west challenge. Schneider also on whether the MLB set back several Marlins players testing positive for, for, for COVID-19 this week and that leading and uh, domino affecting to some delay of games, delay of season, essentially, for the Marlins. But Schneider on whether that setback has him concerned about the NFL season. I just think we're a league that's always had a ton of adversity and, and we have great leadership all the way around. And I think we'll be able to work work through it, you know, both sides, I think. It basically looked like there was two CBAs that were just negotiated right over the last several months. And, uh, you know, both sides, uh, I know for a fact, you know, the league and the union, you know, they worked their tails off to get us in a spot where we can uh, get ready to go. And all the medical people doing whatever they possibly can to, to help us all out and help us to lead all of our individual organizations. So, yeah, I have a ton of hope. I'm sure we're going to hit a, a, a ton of uh, issues as we go. But like I said, I think we're a league that's very strong with, uh, leadership and overcoming adversity. Still more to come from John Schneider later in this hour, especially on how different the practice squad will be this year, how things might look different in camp. But before that, coming up on the Blitz, the Angels beat the Mariners 10-2 to on Tuesday night. There were some positives, however, including Kyle Lewis, an impressive performance from him, two for four, plus a web gem in outfield, and Evan White as well. Tim Lopes continuing his hot start. And then also, we have to recap some uh, some of the action that happened in Houston, and there was a lot of it yesterday. Benches clearing in a very safe social distancing-y kind of way. I'll explain next in the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Wednesday, July 29th, right and early. Plenty of action to recap in this hour, including the benches clearing incident. It wasn't a brawl necessarily. No punches thrown in the Dodgers-Astros game yesterday. But first up... Uh, what happened with the Mariners? Well, they lost to the Angels 10-2 on Tuesday night. The stretch and the 1-2 on the way. Fastball strike three called on the outside corner. The ball game is over. The Angels take game one of the three-game series. They win at a final score of 10-2 as Kenyon Middleton strikes out the side here in the top half of the ninth inning. Angels, their second win of the year. They go to 2-3. and three. Mariners down with a record of 1-4. and four. Uh, but uh, Justice Sheffield, starting on the mound for the M's, had some struggles after a really, really promising summer camp. Sheff went three innings yesterday, gave up four runs on three hits and four walks. And Scott Service said after the game, there's a common theme emerging 
that they have this one inning which really uh, digs a hole for them. Yeah, certainly the uh, uh, common theme for us here uh, with our starters is, you know, the running into that one inning where the, the, the pitch count's getting up there and, you know, uh, tonight was, was no different. The, uh, you know, the walks have, have certainly uh, played a, a role in the, in the big innings that we've given up. So uh, I thought with, with Chef tonight, um, really hadn't seen him do that. I think, you know, all, all spring and in early in summer camp, you know, just kind of attacking, getting ahead in the count and then putting people away quickly. Uh, you know, not so easy tonight for him. Um, a lot of three ball counts, like three or four walks. Uh, you know, he was able to get through the, the third inning and, you know, trying to get him back out there so he could get out there for the fourth and, you know, just wasn't uh, able to get much going there either. There were uh, some positives, which we'll get dig into in a second, but Anthony Rendon hitting a two-run homer, reaching base three times in his Angels debut. Albert Pujols adding his 657th career home run off reliever Nestor Cortez. Scott Service saying guys in the bullpen made a few mistakes. You know, the guys that came out of the bullpen certainly uh, you know, made a few mistakes. You do that against this club, leaving some balls in the middle of the plate uh, that they'll make you pay. There's certainly a lot of power in that lineup over there. So uh, you know, we got things to work on, uh, no question about it. Uh, you know, offensively tonight again, I thought uh, Kyle had a good night. Uh, Lopes, he continues to swing the bat really well. So, uh, you know, but and we had some chances to get back in it. Just, you know, not quite enough, not enough uh, big hits there when we got down 5-1 and had a, something going there and you know, needed more than just one run that inning to get back in it. But uh, we'll come back at it tomorrow and, and uh, we'll give the ball to, to Dunny and, and hopefully he can get a little bit deeper in the ballgame. But on the positive side of the things, you heard Service mention there that Kyle Lewis continuing to do Kyle Lewis-type things. He went two for four, now is averaging 421 with a slugging of 737 and also made an incredible diving catch in center field. Evan White, speaking of youth on this team, also had a web gem in the form of an unassisted double play at first base. Next pitch, swung on, line drive, caught it first by White, goes back to the bag for the three unassisted Double play as he doubles up Fletcher at first base, who had no chance of getting back to first base. Trout hit a screaming liner right at Evan White. A three unassisted double play, two outs for the Angels here at the bottom of the first inning. And be future gold glover Evan White there. Tim Lozov also continuing his hot start. He went two for four with a home run in the top of the fourth. Here's the pitch on the way, swinging a fly ball into right field and deep. Back of the ball is Ward to the warning track, and this one is going to be gone. Goodbye, baseball. Holy smokes, just over the yellow stripe, the other way to right field, Tim Lopes with his first home run of the season, his second hit tonight, gets the Mariners on the board. It's now the Angels 2 and the Mariners 1, Tim Lopes. A home run the other way, number one on the year. What a start for Tim. Also, speaking of positives, how about holding Mike Trout to just one for five yesterday? He has uh, not been unaffected by 2020 like the rest of us, off to a slow start this year. But striking out Mike Trout two times seems like at least a small victory yesterday. Catcher Austin Nola was scratched shortly before game time. Seattle didn't immediately disclose the reason for that. Also, uh, speaking of moves yesterday, Taylor Gilbo, the lefty, was optioned to make roster room for catcher Joe Odom, who made his major league debut yesterday, getting a walk in his very first major league at bat. Up next, you heard it from the skipper there that Justin Dunn will make his season debut for the Mariners against the Angels today. And you can hear all of that action right here on 710 ESPN Seattle coming up next on The Blitz.
Uh, speaking of action, there was some in Houston yesterday. Joe Kelly sending a 96-mile-an-hour fastball behind the head of Alex Bregman in the sixth inning. And uh, that wasn't even the most action that happened. I'll explain next in the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, July 29th. Still getting to know the newest Seahawks. That would be safety Jamal Adams. And yesterday on with the professor John Clayton, NFL Network's Bucky Brooks stopped by to chat about that addition and how he fits with Seattle. The big news over the weekend, the Seahawks make the trade for Jamal Adams. Uh, pretty pricey with two first-rounders, a third, and Bradley McDougal. They get a fourth back in 2022. First off, was that an overprice, or do you think that uh, they're just going for it? Well, I, I think Jamal Adams is a great player. I think he's an elite player, and the all-pro all pro designation by his name uh, matches his play. Uh, you're talking about a player who is really historically great at what he does at the position. He and J.J. Watt are the only players with 200-plus tackles, 10-plus sacks, and 25 passing defense in their first three seasons. So you're talking about an all-time great player. And I think for the Seattle Seahawks, having the opportunity to get what we call a blue-chip player, um, I think is well worth it, particularly when you think about the value of that position in that defense and really how the defense defines how the team plays. I think when you're John Snyder and you're Pete Carroll, um, I think there is something to taking a proven commodity versus what could be down the road with draft pick. Yeah, the uh, and interesting, no, nobody better than you to uh, di- diagnose this, but uh, there seems to be a change in football that's now put new value and additional value on safeties. And so, in fact, I know that uh, Matt Rule talked about coming into the league and in college you have the positionist player, which, of course, in the case of Adams, he can play linebacker, he can play safety, he can go into slot and cover. As you mentioned, he can rush the quarterback, force fumbles, do all those different things. How, how's the game changed that – has created more value for the guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and also guys like Jamal Adams. Yeah, John, I, I think you really on this on, and I think it's great that Matt Rule brought that up when he was coming from the college game because the college game has filtered into the pro game now more than ever. Uh, to combat the spread offenses in college, what you had to do is have these hybrid players that were half linebacker, half safety, that could come down in the box and do all the stuff in the run game go outside and match up with a slot receiver, but also make open field tackles versus these athletic quarterbacks. Well, in the pro game, as we see more of the Lamar Jacksons and Kyler Murrays and those guys have success in the league, you have to have chess pieces that can match that. The safety is a position that can match that athletic quarterback. And it was telling a few weeks ago I had an opportunity to talk to Bill Polian, um, and Bill Polian talked about building an elite defense he talked about the two pass rushers. He talked about a linebacker. But then instead of cornerback, he said safety, strong safety, free safety. And he said the box safety will become one of the more important pieces of a championship puzzle because you have to be able to tackle these quarterbacks in space while also dealing with the tight end and factoring in against the running game. I think the Jamal Adams trade is an illustration of how the game is trending towards the safety reemerging as a pivotal piece of the championship defensive puzzle. 
Well, you watched it last year when the Steelers gave up a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, and he played at a defensive player of the year level, and you look at how their defensive numbers <clears throat> increased and got better as uh, his season went on and the more he got integrated into that defense. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think there's a myth when it comes to safety that safeties are marquee positions. I know in the team-building process, particularly coming from a scouting background, we've always talked about uh, quarterbacks, offensive tackles, pass rushers, and cornerbacks being kind of like before they get paid. And the compensation reflects that. However, I do believe as the game continues to evolve and emerge, the safety position is a very critical position uh, when it comes to building a championship defense. And when I, I look at Jamal Adams and I look at Mika Fitzpatrick and Derwin James and Honey Badger and those guys, you're right about the trend of the positionless player and how that safety that can come down in the box and be a factor against the run game, cover a tight end, cover a slot receiver, lifts off the edge. There's so much value to that, especially if the defensive coordinator has the creativity to be able to utilize it, I think is key. And I think in Seattle in particular, there are a couple things that factor in. And I'm going to go back to my time with John Snyder. First, when I was a player in Green Bay, and he was an assistant. Ron Wolf was the general manager. He always liked to have stars. Our defensive coordinator, Fritz Shermer really created the first hybrid safety playmaker in LaRoy Butler. If you go back and look at the 96 season, LaRoy Butler had six and a half sacks. He had five interceptions. He had over 100 tackles. He was the first modern-day hybrid player. If that resonates with John Snyder based on how we went to the Super Bowl with that team, and then you fast-forward to how the Seattle Seahawks at their best in the Legion of Boom heyday with Cam Chancellor playing that enforcer role, that defense has not been the same since you removed Cam Chancellor out of the lineup. Jamal Adams gives them a player that can do some of those things. NFL Network's Bucky Brooks on Adams Fit with Seattle, and you can listen to that full interview available online, 710sports.com. Now, we heard on his way out of New York, Jamal Adams, say a couple of things, uh, including about Adam Gase, the Jets head coach, about his leadership and how he doesn't address the team at halftime. Uh, Adam Gase even responding to that recently. Uh, here was Adam Gase yesterday. You know, as far as, you know, the alleged addressing at halftime, I mean, we were only we had two times in the second half of the season that we were down. One was the Cincinnati game I addressed the team at halftime, and one was the Baltimore game I addressed the team at halftime. So, you know, one game he was in the training room at Cincinnati, the other one he wasn't playing. So, I mean, I, it's hard for me to answer a question like that when I'm, I know the correct answer. Yesterday on Tom, Jake, and Stacy, some discussion on Jamal Adams' locker room presence. You spoke with Bob Wischusen, who was the New York Jets play-by-play man. He talked about Jamal Adams, the man, and he didn't exactly give a glowing review. How about cut number four? He goes on a Twitter campaign back and forth with you know the brass of the team. He was campaigning, apparently, with the Cowboys, like texting guys on the Cowboys, trying to facilitate and grease the skids to a deal with the Cowboys, while all the while acting insulted publicly that his name was even brought up in trade rumors. On social media, he came up with his own third-person nickname. He calls himself the Preds. If you do all of that, you're going to tell me there aren't guys that are eight, nine, ten years in the NFL that when you walk in the locker room are going to give you a little side eye, like, who do you think you are? 
Now, Adams was the Jets team captain, okay? And we all saw his behavior on Twitter, social media before he became a Seahawk. I mean, he was very publicly lobbying to get out of there and calling out his head coach and calling out his GM. Now, if you listen to his reasoning, you know, uh, just the way that Gase handled the team, not not addressing the team at halftime, not really being the coach that he thought the Jets needed in order to be a better team. I mean, I don't really blame him from, for wanting out of there, but I guess this question's definitely one for Jake. Is it a very captain-like thing to do to complain publicly and send that message to your other teammates that that's okay to do? Um, to be honest with you, no. Right, It's not a very captain-like thing to do. But here's the thing about sports, about sports business, is that players are able in a locker room to take those two things and set them aside. Like when you talk about players trying to earn their money and and trying to you know make the best of their situation, uh, players are not going to condemn other players on that aspect because they're more in solidarity on that of hey we want you know X player to get uh, their money they w- want them to you know uh, make the most of their career it's just one of those things that you don't touch. So although there's all these things going on with Jamal Adams on the side, and although maybe organizationally and from a fan base side, you can get really annoyed and angry with it, the majority of the players in that locker room are not going to um, hold it against Jamal Adams. As long as he shows up and he uh, puts forth 100% effort on and off the field, that's what they care about. If you but show that's up not and what you he's doing. Play. He's actually – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is a – you're right. When it's a guy on your team that's trying to get their money, like, you're right. Go get your money. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. This is, a, this is the best player on their team, though, that's saying, I don't want to play on your team anymore. I want to leave. Like, you Correct. think that, that makes well, his teammates feel good? No, it doesn't make them feel good, but you got to remember where this all stemmed from. It stemmed from money. It stemmed from – Jamal Adams thinking and wishing that he would get more money. And so that's where this comes to together. And for, you know, Bob Wachusen's perspective, there's also other perspectives of, of guys that I've heard uh, around the Jets organization that have said that but the majority of players understand where Jamal Adams is coming from and are more mad at the organization than they are at Jamal Adams. So to, to answer that question, Tom, it's hard because I think there might be some that are a little annoyed or some that have been rubbed the wrong way. But overall, most of the players in that locker room are going to be able to accept and move on from it as long as you show up and you continue to be the all-pro player uh, that that you have been in the past. And that's why I'm... I'm also not concerned about Jamal Adams here being a Seahawk uh, and, and creating drama and division and things of that nature. I, I don't think and don't anticipate that happening. You can listen to Tom, Jake, and Stacy every day from noon to 3 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next on The Blitz, several players choosing to opt out of the 2020 NFL season, and a lot of them are New England Patriots. The latest conspiracy theory on that next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Not sure if you've heard this already, but Tom Brady is going to be in Tampa Bay next year. I know. Shocking, right? Bruce Arian speaking recently about how Tom Brady is learning the playbook with a challenging, truncated uh, season, preseason. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. It's, it's, it's a, again, it's a dual thing. He, Him learning what we do, me learning what he likes, uh, meeting in the middle and doing a lot of different things. But I'm not going to ask the other 21 guys to learn something new. Uh, when they've already had a good year of, of, and good experiences in the offense. So um, I would have liked to have had a couple of preseason games, uh, but it didn't work out that way. Bruce Arians also on where Tom Brady is in terms of grasping the Bucks' offense. Yeah, I think he's, he's way ahead of the curve. I mean, he's a very bright guy. The, the terminology was the, the big thing. And, uh, and as we now get together starting tomorrow, we'll have uh, start to collaborate a little bit more. And uh, so, yeah, I think he's in a great spot right now as far as that goes. Finally, Bruce Arians on his interactions with him and, and the teammates' reaction to Brady. Yeah, all positive things, obviously. You know, all the guys that have been working out with him um, see his intensity level at even those type of workouts and only know they're going to intensify when we get out there for real. Uh, so, yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, it's, it's you would have hoped we'd have had spring practice so all of them could get over the awe, especially the young players of Tom Brady walking into the locker room and Gronk. Uh, but, you know, it'll get, it will get through that, I think, in a week. Then maybe uh, each guy will have enough balls to go talk to him. The Dodgers beat the Astros 5-2 to two on Tuesday. It was the first time that the Dodgers and Astros have met since the Astros' sign-stealing scandal was revealed after the season last year. Man, it seems like it's been forever since that happened. We've lived through a lot uh, since then. But according to MLB's investigation, the sign stealing was primarily committed in 2017 and 2018. Some people dispute that, but at least in those years. And in 2017, the Astros, of course, winning the World Series in seven games over the Dodgers. So the Dodgers were a little bit vocal about uh, their feelings about this over the past year, especially uh, players like Cody Bellinger. And in the bottom of the second yesterday, Carlos Correa hitting a solo home run, taking plenty of time rounding the bases, and gave Cody Bellinger a special look. One and two to the right-handed hitting Correa. He drills one to left field. It's deep, and it is gone. Into the box. About 320 feet. Crawford box was uh, waiting for Correa's arrival. Carlos Correa, his first home run of the year. Yes, Correa later threw out Bellinger at first base and then also pointed at him. So tensions heating up a little bit, but the bottom of the sixth was where things really got interesting. Joe Kelly on the mound for the Dodgers. He sent a 96-mile-an-hour fastball whizzing behind the head of Alex Bregman. 3-0. Ooh. High and inside ball four. Bregman nearly got nailed. That looked like the changeup that Joe Kelly was working on. uh... (laughs) At home, that missed the big net he was throwing into, but did not miss the window to his house. Just a little bit off the spot. So. Just a bit outside. But uh, Joe Kelly also uh, letting out a demonstrative yawn after that happened. 
Moments later, uh, also throwing above Carlos Correa. The pitch. High and inside. Correa has to duck out of the way. Goes all the way to the backstop. Correa looking out at uh, Kelly with a, a look of anger on his face. He was thrown right over the top of his head. That was supposed to be designed to be a slider. It didn't slide. Correa ducked and slud. Correa was not at all happy with that pitch. A Dodgers reliever, well, the Dodgers reliever, and then the shortstop, uh, Carlos Correa, had words following Correa's strikeout to end the inning, and that's when the benches cleared uh, and both began jawing at each other. No punches thrown. People trying their best to maintain social distancing, a different look for a benches-clearing fight in 2020. A warning was issued to both sides, and uh, Dusty Baker also getting in a few words with the home plate umpire on that one. He spoke after the game on what really made him upset. It really enraged everybody is when, you know, he told Carlos, I mean, he struck him out. And, uh, and, he, and he told him, nice swing, Let's see, what are, you, what are you supposed to do then? And then what upset me is that the umpires warned us, you know, why don't you warn him? You know, he's the one throwing the, throwing the ball. And, the, you know, he's the one that started this this mess in the first place. So, um, um, no, I didn't, I, I didn't like it at all. Uh, Joe Kelly, though, was noticeably, noticeably erratic in that game and talked about how it wasn't intentional. This was on his pitch to Bregman. Um, it was a ball, obviously. It uh, wasn't my, my best pitch. I mean, it's ball four, and walked him, and never good to put a guy on when you're leading the game. So, uh, some that you know, I wasn't feeling the greatest, wasn't the most comfortable. Um, took me a while to hone in my mechanics. Yeah, and mentioned that it wasn't on purpose. Also, his uh, facial expressions when uh, he began mocking Correa after the inning, uh, which became legendary on Twitter and uh, led to some of the best gifs of the year. Uh, he said that was just an in-the-moment type of thing and that he didn't remember what he said, uh, but just made those in-the-moment, heat-of-the-moment on both sides. But uh, as of now, just a warning for both teams, no one seeing any formal suspension. We'll see what Major League Baseball has to say. New England Patriots linebacker Dante Hightower and safety Patrick Chung are among the starters opting out of the 2020 season. It seems to be a theme in New England. We already heard running back Brandon Bolden is planning to opt out of the season. Also starting offensive tackle Marcus Cannon and uh, fullback Danny Vitale. Reserve offensive lineman Neji Torin as well. Also deciding to opt out earlier for the Patriots. According to the agreement approved by both the league and the NFL Players Association, players considered high risk for COVID-19 can earn $350,000 and an accrued NFL season if they choose to opt out. Players without risk can earn $150,000 for opting out. Jeff Darlington was on this morning with uh, with Golik and Wingo, I believe, talking about some of the low-risk opt-outs. He was surprised by those. I'm not surprised at all about the high-risk opt-outs. I'm really not. I mean, there's a lot of guys, and, and this was sort of the union's point, um, people that I've spoken to on the union side, early on is that, look, I know people think of these athletes as being the exceptional world-class athletes, but there's a lot of guys with high BMIs. Uh, there's a lot of guys who believe the black community is more affected by and more maybe more vulnerable to COVID. And as a result, um, there were people that were potentially concerned about that aspect of it. So to me, 
though it wasn't the high-risk opt-outs that has me surprised at all. It's it's the guys that are opting out, uh, not getting the accrued season, getting that $150 essential loan that they have to pay back next year. Uh, those guys, to me, I'm fascinated by that decision because I just don't perceive NFL players to oftentimes put their health above their paycheck. And I, 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 that sounds so cold, um, but I don't know that I'd be any better when you're, when you're putting millions of dollars in front of my face and saying, yeah, you, could, you can kind of get through this if you, uh, if you pay for this, you know, if you, uh, if you take this chance. I'm surprised that there's been more guys doing that so far, and and I'll be very curious to see if even more do. ESPN writer Kevin Seifert also on if the Dante Hightower news made other players or influenced other players' decision. Um, You know, he definitely broke the ice maybe a little bit in terms of of being a player in his prime that's that's willing to to um, you know for family reasons, but. You know, I think I think what will be interesting because uh, most of the opt-outs that we've seen uh, have been especially for um, you know family reasons, somebody having a baby, somebody is getting ready to have a baby, those sort of things. What I think will be really interesting is just if there if, if there's a really high-profile player who says, not for health reasons, not for the pre-existing condition where you get three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But the one where it's just the voluntary opt-out where you get an advance of 150000 on your next year's salary, if a really high-profile player comes forth and says, you know what, just I, I don't think it's worth the risk. I don't think playing in a, in a pandemic is good uh, for my health, for my teammates' health, for my community, the community's health, for the country's health. And for that reason, I can't, you know, from a moral or ethical standpoint, bring myself to do that. I think that would be something that would really maybe open the door for some other people who are having just some, you know, internal misgivings that have nothing to do with their immediate health or even the immediate health of the people around them, but just the larger moral and ethical implications of, of what the NFL is trying to do. It's also a little conspiracy theory, too, floating around there that uh, all the players opting out might be linked to Bill Belichick, Jordan Cornette, yesterday on that theory. I mean, look, the guy's always been playing chess when everybody's been playing checkers. You would like to think that was something this serious that he wouldn't look for a loophole, but that's what Belichick lives <laughs> off of, is finding a loophole to expose the league to put his team in a better position. Now, I, I don't truly believe this one. But the fact that so many people got from point A to point B on this one as quickly as they did speaks to the brilliance of this man and how unwilling they are to put <laughs> anything past him. Right. Major League Baseball has postponed all of the Miami Marlins games through Sunday after the team's recent coronavirus outbreak. MLB announced that Miami's next six games, beginning with yesterday's uh, home game against Baltimore Orioles, have been postponed, citing the belief that, quote, it is most prudent to allow the Marlins time to focus on providing care for their players and planning their baseball operations for a resumption early next week. Marlins have moved to daily testing and will remain in Philadelphia, where they played last weekend as they gather more information, according to team CEO Derek Jeter. The postponements were announced yesterday. Also, a series of scheduling changes involving four other teams. Because of that, the Orioles, who are scheduled to host the Marlins in a two-game series starting today, instead will host the New York Yankees for games today and tomorrow. 
The Yankees were scheduled to play the Phillies in Philadelphia on Tuesday night, but the game officially was postponed out of an abundance of caution, according to MLB. So the Phillies also were scheduled to play games Wednesday and Thursday in New York against the Yankees and now will be traveling to Baltimore instead. Also impacted the Washington Nationals, who are slated to play a three-game series starting Friday in Miami against the Marlins. And uh, now these reverberating uh reverberating throughout the league yesterday, but of course the most important concern, health and safety for everyone. According to ESPN, the Seattle Seahawks are planning to wait until next year to sign all-pro safety and recent trade acquisition Jamal Adams to a long-term extension. That is due to plenty of certain uncertainty surrounding the future of the NFL's salary cap, how the loss of revenue this season will impact that number. Seahawks reportedly willing to wait on making a big financial commitment Uh, They acquired Adams in a trade on Saturday, sending first-round picks in each of the next two drafts, a 2021 third-rounder and safety Bradley McDoodle to the Jets in exchange for Adams and a 2022 fourth-round pick. And John Schneider yesterday, uh, his thoughts on those who might say that they gave up too much for Adams. Well, you have to try to look at the landscape and and see what, you know, are you going to be able to, I mean, we have Dwayne Brown on our team right now. Do you, you know, do you have a, a future le- is there is there an avenue for us to have a future left tackle? You know what does that look like? Um, you know, you know, pass rusher. You know, we we traded for uh, Jadavian last year. Had a great year for with us and did a really nice job. Um, you know, so you're, you're you're trying to figure out how you can acquire those guys all the way through. I would say without um, you know getting too much into detail, Peter. That I, you know that. that we needed to get faster on our on our team this year, um, especially on defense, and and I feel like we have done that. Schneider also saying they are building the secondary with their division opponents in mind, a pretty formidable division at that. And Schneider, with some thoughts on the NFL, he says he's confident they will be able to play this season. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next, right here on Seven Ten ESPN Seattle.